Let me pray and then we'll have a look at this second half of Hebrews chapter 12 where we left off from last week. Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are the speaking God, but we also hear the awesomeness of this passage, that you are an all-consuming fire. You are a God who we should rightly be in awe of. And we pray this morning that as we think on your word, that we would live rightly in light of how you speak to us and the way you've made us to live in Jesus, your son. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a, uh, a favourite little saying of Emily and I, when we're feeling a little worn down and when we're feeling just a little overwhelmed with everything that's happening or everything that, that needs to happen because life gets busy, uh, a little saying that Emily and I say to each other is, just keep swimming. Uh, you know the, the Disney movie, Finding Nemo? Uh, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, that little tune. And uh, we, we usually say that to each other with a bit of a smirk on our faces because we know in life, often in life, you just need to keep going. You just need to keep swimming. You just need to keep enduring and persevering. Stopping doesn't make things any better. It actually makes things worse. And that's been the theme of these last few chapters of Hebrews. The Christian life is one where often, if not always, you just need to keep going. Because if you don't, it only makes things worse. And we saw this last week at the beginning of chapter 12. The Christian life is the kind of life where you need to run with endurance the race that lies before you. Uh, Just keep running. That's been the theme. That's been the slogan from verse 1 last week. You know, first century people, they didn't really swim. Just keep swimming doesn't work. Just keep running. That was better for them. But the point of these last few weeks has been keep going, endure, persevere. Otherwise, you won't finish. We won't finish. We won't get to the end of the race. And we know from chapter 12 last week that the first readers of this letter, they were finding that race hard. Their running at this point was agony. And being worn out from their running, they were tempted just to give up. They were tempted to stop. And that's all good and well when the race is just that. You know, when it's just a race. Okay, you know, you stop. Big deal. What do you lose? Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, a bunch of primary school kids on cross-country day. Have you ever seen primary school kids on cross-country day? Most of them, they start off with great zeal, but very quickly into the race, about 30 seconds into the race, one by one, they begin to drop off. Some turn around and they go back to the start line because, hey, that's closer than the finish line. Uh, there's always one kid that pulls out a chocolate bar because they're famished by their 30-second marathon. Uh, perhaps I'm bringing back memories for you. See, it's all good and well to stop and give up when it's just a race. But what about when that race is this thing we call life? And in particularly, uh, particular for the Christian, the Christian life. It's why Emily and I smirk at each other and smile when we say, just keep swimming. It's because we know we can't just stop. We can't just give up and decide, okay, I'm going to have a day off today. All right, kids, on your own. Work it out by yourselves as much as we'd like to say that to them. You see, with these first readers who were finding the race of the Christian life hard and draining, the writer of this letter knew that they needed to be strengthened. And he knew that it was of utmost importance that they were strengthened, otherwise they would give up. Otherwise, they would miss out on the end of the race, the promise of the new creation, of the rest that we've seen over and over again, the, the, the promise of, of getting there at the end and the prize we saw in Hebrews 11. And so I want to start today by looking briefly at the end of the passage from last week, because today's passage, it does flow out from the verses from last week, the end of last week. And this is point one in your outline, the encouragement to strengthen. So you have a look at verse 12. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Make sure you've got your Bible there. 
Verse 12, and this is at the end of last week's passage, it said this. It said, therefore, in, in light of the suffering you've endured, in light of how hard you're finding the race, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. And I won't spend too long on this as we looked at it briefly last week, but the image there of tired hands and weakened knees and knees being strengthened is the idea of being strengthened so that the knee or the hand doesn't altogether break, doesn't altogether dislocate. And it's easy to see how that image works with the race of the Christian life and the need to keep running. Sure, the race may be hard, your knees may be weak, but if you are to finish, you need to be strengthened. And what's so lovely about these verses, and this is where our English language, I think, fails us in many ways, uh, the encouragement here, the encouragement here to, to strengthen and to make straight, it's in the plural. And the, the lame and those who need to be healed, they're in the singular. And so it's literally use, use the church, strengthen and make straight the one, the singular, who is lame. So that that one person might be healed. So that that one person amongst you can keep running because use the church are doing the work of strengthening that one who is struggling. It's like those images you see of a marathon where a fellow countryman or countrywoman is at the point of collapse and along comes their fellow country person to help them along, to, to get them to the end of that race. And so what we have in this image, it's not an individual straining and agonizing on their own to finish. See, that's not the Christian race. That's not the Christian life. It's not a solo race. It's a team or better, a church who together strengthen each other to finish the race. And the reality is, all of us, every single one of us here, we need to be strengthened. All of us will have times in our lives, if not right now, where our knees need to be strengthened. All of us will have time where we need to be helped in our weakness. See, Charles Spurgeon, he was a great English preacher uh, in the 1800s, and he gave a, a list on this passage of all the ways that our knees as Christians might become weak in this thing we call the Christian life. And there, there are actually 22 items in his list, but here are some of them. He writes, in having weak knees, up on the screen in the Christian race, he said, some are ready to disbelieve and fall into error, such as their weak knees at the moment. Some are ready to yield to temptation. Some have been driven to lameness by Satan and with his insinuations. Some have been driven to lameness by persecutors and slander. He goes on, some have grown weary through the roughness of the road. In other words, life has been hard. Some have grown weary, depressed by worldly troubles. Some have become weak through the pride of their own hearts and selfishness. Some have become weak through the neglect of God's grace. They've forgotten about God's grace. And what's up on the screen is but a sample of the 22 things that Spurgeon lists out. And no doubt if we read that list, the whole list, all of us would find three or four things that would resonate with us. That we would go, yep, in the Christian life, I found this hard. My knees have been weak. But that's what makes verses 12 and 13 such an encouragement. Because the race that's set before the Christian, it's not a competition. 
We're not actually competing against each other, trying to be the first one to, to, to finish the race and come first. No, it's a race that's designed to be finished, where God has given us one another to help and strengthen each other to finish. And what we have in the passage that was read out for us today is instructions on what that looks like, on what it actually looks like for us to strengthen each other. So we're up to point two now. How are we to strengthen? And the first thing we are to do, if you have a look at verse 14, have a look from verse 14, is pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace with all. And, and there the emphasis is with everyone in the church family, with your Christian brothers and sisters. Which is simple enough to understand. If, if the first readers of this letter, in their tired hands and weakened knees, were going to help each other, well, then there needed to be peace amongst them. Uh, how could they work as a team if there's no unity amongst them? And the instruction here, it's not now, you know, do your best to get along. Uh, you know, you might not like each other very much, but just, you know, do your best to try to, to get along with each other. Give it a go. Have a go. It's, 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 not the, it's not the school teacher in the playground where, you know, two boys have had a, a bit of a, a, a biff and they've roughed each other up. And then the teacher goes, all right, come on, boys, make up, you know, hug, tell each other it's okay. Uh, I certainly didn't care for such a piece when I was a school kid in the Biff. See, the instruction here is not like that. The instruction here is pursue peace with each other. Do it with urgency. Do it with an intensity because it matters amongst the believers for there to be peace amongst them. And it matters amongst us. Uh, can I say, if you are not at peace with your brother and sister in Christ, then pursue peace with them help each other in pursuing peace. Otherwise, how can you help each other? It's not only peace, but it's also holiness. Look again at verse 14. Verse 14, and this one's very important because look at what the end of verse 14 says. It says, pursue holiness because without it, no one will see the Lord. And again, this is easy enough to understand. If the believers are going to stick with Jesus together and keep running the race, they'll need to pursue holiness they'll need to hear the call to be holy like god is holy because the opposite of of that is to pursue unholiness and the opposite of holiness is is to be unlike god and if you're unlike god well you'll never finish the race you'll never see his face and this is an interesting one to think about because what is the best way for believers to pursue holiness amongst each other See, what does it look like for us to do that together? If we're to pursue holiness, what does it actually look like? Is it a matter of you know, pointing the finger at each other and saying, oh, look, you could, you could be more holy. Uh, you, know, you should be more holy. You need to try harder to pursue holiness. You're not being very godlike, are you? Now, pull your socks up. Is that what we're supposed to do in, in pursuing holiness together? Or is it actually by each one of us making sure that I, that each one of us is pursuing holiness, that I'm seeking to live a life more and more like Jesus with intensity and in urgency, that actually it encourages others to do the same. See, holiness is actually quite contagious. Uh, sorry to use that word in the current world. But, but it is. Holiness, when you see your brother and sister aiming for holiness in their life, it's contagious to you. Uh, for you to work at being holy like God is holy actually encourages others to do the same. It strengthens them in their Christian life to keep living for Jesus. 
And I reckon if you stopped and thought about this, you could think of many examples where that's happened for you. Where the reason you've been pushed on in your Christian life to live more for Jesus is actually because you've been encouraged by some other Christian who's been living more for Jesus. And it's spurred you on. Uh, I remember very early in my Christian life, I went to the movies with a bunch of mates. Some of them were Christians. And uh, there was this scene in this movie that we were watching. It got a little bit raunchy. Uh, in many ways, it's nothing unusual in modern day movies. I was about 19, 20 at the time, very new Christian. And there was this scene, that, you know, was a bit raunchy in this movie. But one of the other guys who was there, he was a Christian guy. And as this scene started, he, he, he started to cover his eyes. And then he was kind of like this, with his hand in front of his eyes, uh, so that he couldn't see what was on the screen. And every now and then he kind of lifted his head and just kind of peeked to see if the scene was, was over or not, or if it finished or not. And at first, I remember when I saw that, I just thought, that, that's weird. Like, that's just over the top. Uh, you know, this strange Christian guy being just too radical, being too drastic in his Christian life. But afterwards, I realized, no, good on him. He's taking holiness seriously. And then it made me reconsider those things of the world that I too easily consume, that I'm too quick and careless about in my own life and let consume my mind and, and, then, let, and then have those things take me away from living for Jesus. You see, the instruction here is all of us together pursue peace. All of us together pursue holiness with urgency and intensity. And by so doing, use us together as the church. We will strengthen each other. will help us to keep going in the race. And as you do that, we're to make sure that we don't leave anyone behind. This is point B on your outline. Have a look from verse 15. Verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by defiling many. And make sure that it isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau. And we don't have time to look at each of these uh, make sures in detail, but the overall idea, it's really simple. If these believers, the first readers of this letter, were going to strengthen each other to keep running, to keep going with Jesus, then they needed to actively watch out for one another. They needed to keep an eye out for each other. They needed to make sure that no one was going to fall short of the grace of God. And the grace of God, I think, here is, is, is getting to that new creation. God's grace in the eternal life he gives us. And they needed to make sure that no root of bitterness grew amongst them. And this, uh, this is not a bitterness towards each other. It's not the pursue peace sort of idea. It's actually a bitterness towards God. That there's no bitterness towards how people think about God's ways and what he says. It's actually a reference back to Deuteronomy 29. And that was really important because that kind of bitterness, if there's a bitterness between, uh, before God and his ways amongst us, amongst the people of God, well then it defiles many. And it causes other people to give up on Jesus and then to quit the race. But the third make sure was that they were to make sure that none of them became like Esau. And if you remember Esau, he was the one, verse 16, who sold his birthright, his birthright as a firstborn son in his family, in exchange for a meal, for lentil stew, of all things. And if you remember the story of Esau, he was the firstborn of Isaac, 
And he was to inherit the blessing from his father with all that that meant, with the promises of God. His birthright was supposed to be precious to him. And it was supposed to be beautiful to him. But what he did with his birthright, he sold it. Foolishly. Fleetingly. Just for a meal. And so these believers, they were to make sure that none of them acted like that. That that none of them gave up the precious and beautiful promises of the gospel that, that they are inheriting, that the new creation that they were to inherit, that not to give up on those things, not to sell that in a sense, just to alleviate their suffering, just to satisfy their immediate gratification of earthly pleasure now. See, the, reader, the writer of Hebrews is saying that would be foolish. That would be fleeting to give up such great things for immediate gratification. And so with what we've looked at so far, we have this this great picture of believers strengthening each other and watching out for one another. It's, it's It's a real leave no man, leave no woman behind kind of mentality. And it's necessary because the Christian race is not easy. It's not a sprint. It's an agony. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is actually where we get our English word agony from. So last week when we looked at chapter 12 verse 1 and it told us to run uh, with endurance the race, it's literally run with endurance the agony. And if the believers and if we for that matter are going to finish that race, make it through the agony, then we need each other. We must help each other. God's given us one another. But that's not the only way the writer wants to encourage these first readers to keep running. He also wants to remind them of a great truth. And this is point three. You have come to Mount Zion. You see, whilst their running might have been hard, their running was as citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, they're not running in order to enter the heavenly Jerusalem. We've got to get this right. That, that's not why he's saying keep running. Run so that you get into Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. No, no, they're running as current citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. And to make this point, the writer contrasts two different types of mountains. So Mount Sinai, which is that picture we saw in Exodus 19 that Liz uh, read for us, and then Mount Zion, which represents the new way of Jesus and the New Testament. You see, before Jesus... The reality for the people of God was that reality of the Exodus and of Mount Sinai. And again, just remember the picture that was read out for us before. Do you remember what it was like for Israel as they stood at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 with Moses? Do you remember what it was like as God displayed his holiness and glory to them? It was, was it a joyous picture? It was terrifying. That's what we get in verses 18 to 21. God thundered from Mount Sinai. He came down to his people in a dense cloud. He was so holy and Israel, they so unholy that that even if one of them touched the mountain, do you remember what would happen if they touched the mountain? They'd drop dead. Even more than that, the the, the picture there was even if one of their animals happened to touch the Mount Sinai where, where God was displaying his holiness, that animal would drop dead. Such is the holiness of God. Even Moses, verse 21, he trembled with fear before this holy God. You see, that is the reality before Jesus, without Jesus. You know how sometimes people joke about meeting their maker? You know, they they kind of make light of the fact that one day they'll stand before God and, you know, they'll just waltz up to God and say, Hey, good day, God, how are you going? 
That's rubbish. No one, absolutely no one will be joking or lighthearted or irreverent on that day when they meet their maker. See, the picture at the beginning here with Mount Sinai is that God is an all-consuming fire. If you stand before him as a sinner, you will tremble in absolute fear. And one day we'll all stand before God. See, this is supposed to be a terrifying image. But that's not the reality for the one who belongs to Jesus. See, look at verse 22. Verse 22, those who are at Mount Zion, they, the believers who have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, what are they? They are the firstborn of God. Verse 23, verse 23, their names are already written in heaven. These are the ones, verse 24, who have come to Jesus as their great high priest. And so they, they belong to the new covenants. They're actually citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem spiritually now. I hope you know this. If you don't know this, if this is new to you, that this idea that even now as we sit physically here, spiritually for the Christian, you are in the heavenly realms. If that's a new idea for you, then make sure you, you sign up for Intro to the Bible in Term 4. Because for those of us who trust in Jesus, we are spiritually already a part of the heavenly city. We're already gathered spiritually around the throne of Jesus. And so the encouragement here, it's not... Keep running so that you might get yourself into the heavenly Jerusalem. The encouragement is keep running because you're already there. You're already part of the heavenly Jerusalem. Your name, so to speak, as you run this race, it's, it's already etched on the trophy. It's written. You just have to, to finish the race, to finish the, the, the formality of, of, of finishing the race to then get the trophy that your name's already etched on. See, my best attempt at this illustration is uh, imagine you were part of the Jamaican 4x100 sprint team. Because if you're part of the Jamaican sprint team, the reality is you've already won. <laughs> they, they always win. But just imagine being part of that team. And imagine it's finals day. There you are, part of the Jamaican 400 meter sprint team, the 4x100 meter sprint team. And uh, it's finals day. And uh, every other country who was competing next to you false started. So many times they've all been disqualified. They're all out of the race. It's just Jamaica, your team that remains. And imagine you're the last of the four runners. Runner one, two, three, they've all gone, they've all run. And now you've got the baton in your hand and you can see the finish line. It's 100 meters ahead of you. And all you have to do is keep running. All you have to do is keep going to that finish line. You see, that's kind of the picture here for the believer through chapter 12. Jesus has done it all for us. He's our great high priest. We've come to Mount Zion. We're already citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. And God has given us, all of us, each other. So that even if our knees are weak and weary for that last hundred meters or so, well, we can help each other. You see, the believers run as those who already have their names because of Jesus etched in the heavenly Jerusalem. We simply need to keep running, keep trusting to finish. But what does it look like for us uh, today to keep running and to, to actually strengthen each other to keep running? Uh, what's struck me throughout this book of Hebrews, and I hope it struck you as well, is just how corporate this letter is. Have you noticed that as you've talked about it in gospel teams? Have you noticed how us together, the Hebrews letter is? That, that little phrase, let us, 
comes up over a dozen times in this letter of just 13 chapters in Hebrews. Uh, Let us together fear that any one of us should miss out on God's rest. Uh, Let us together make every effort to enter the new creation rest. Let us together go on to maturity. Let us together hold on to our confession of hope that we have in Jesus without wavering. And I could go on. There's so many let us's in this letter. But I hope it struck you just as much as it struck me that we need each other in the Christian life. And you can see how beautiful a picture this is, can't you? When someone is missing from amongst us, when someone is finding life particularly hard and they've shared that with you and you know that about them, when someone amongst us is ill or sick and because of that they're discouraged, they're low, perhaps depressed. See, what does the church do that strengthens each other at that time? They love each other in that moment. They call, they visit, they make meals, they send cards full of Bible verses and prayer. Imagine if we were a church where every single one of us thought of each other in that way, cared for each other in that way. If we were that sort of church, which in many ways we are, and praise God for that, but if every single one of us were like that, then every single one of us would have a hundred people caring just for you, thinking just for you, praying just for you, helping you along strengthening your knees when they become weak and you feel weary. See, that's the picture here. It's this beautiful picture. It's verse 15. It's it's make sure that no one, not a single one of us, as we look around at the room and see each other's faces, make sure that not a single one of us falls short of the grace of God. And we see that in our church, and I praise God for that in our church. But part of this picture also takes, I think, boldness. And vulnerability. I find the example of Esau a very interesting one. See, Esau was a fool, right? He's a fool. In one hand, he's got his birthright from his family with the family inheritance that means for him and the promises of God that he inherit. And on the other hand, a bowl of lentil stew. And as you kind of think of those two choices, you think, well, it's pretty easy, right? You're not going to pick the stew. You're going to pick the inheritance. You're going to pick the promises. It's an easy choice. But if it's such an easy choice, why does the writer of Hebrews say, make sure that you're not like Esau? Make sure you don't pick the stew. Why does he say that? If the choice is so easy, why why the warning? It's because human temptation is to pick that immediate gratification of earthly pleasure. See, this this earthly life that we live, 80 plus years of earthly living, it's like the short-term pleasure of a meal compared to eternity. And the temptation for us is to choose that earthly pleasure, which is ultimately, again, a fleeting bowl of stew. That's our, that's our temptation to pick that instead of sticking with Jesus and looking at the eternal picture that lies ahead. And so it takes boldness and vulnerability to make sure that none of us are so foolish and stupid to be like Esau. It takes boldness because when you see a brother and sister in Christ about to make a bad choice, won't it take boldness to tell them? Won't it take actual love for them to say, hold on, brother, hold on, sister. I don't think that's wise. If you take that job, it's going to pull you away from your church family. If you make that decision, it's going to compromise your godliness and your holiness. That's not going to be wise. 
If you, you know, buy that house, which is so lovely, but, but look at the size of the mortgage you'll have. You'll have to work more and more and more. You know, or pursuing that relationship. I don't know that's wise. That's going to pull you away from God. They don't love Jesus. That takes boldness, doesn't it? That takes real love to care for each other in those ways, to say those things to each other. But it also takes vulnerability. It takes vulnerability to be, to be a person who wants to make sure that they're not being like Esau. To actually seek counsel and wisdom from other Christians and ask them, hey, am I being unwise here? That takes vulnerability. If you're struggling with a particular sin now and nobody else knows, it takes vulnerability to tell someone else about that sin. But you should. Because that might be pulling you away from Jesus. See, be vulnerable. We're here to love each other and help each other. But ultimately, the best way for us to strengthen each other is to keep running. And to keep running is to keep pointing each other to Jesus and his word. You see, it's remember Jesus, your great high priest. Remember because of him, you belong to that heavenly Jerusalem. And uh, we didn't get to look at the final verses of this chapter, but just look briefly at verses 25 to 29 and, and make sure you spend time in those verses in your gospel teams. Because those verses, they're the last warning in this book. And the warning is really clear in verse 25. It is, make sure you do not reject the one who speaks. And right at the beginning of Hebrews, it's in Jesus, God's son, that God has spoken powerfully and completely. So if we're to make sure that all of us together finish that race, that is the Christian life, then we need to keep pointing each other to Jesus and keep pointing each other to the word of God. We need actually to speak the word of God to each other. I kind of picture it like a grueling marathon where the, where the race is not about winning but finishing. You know those real intense marathons you see on TV sometimes where uh, you know, the person hits the wall and then their legs feel like jelly and they're falling on their knees and they just want to give up and stop at that point. And then you hear the voices from the crowd amongst them cheering them on. You know, Keep going. You can get there. It's, it'll be worth it. You'll finish the race. Well, instead of well-meaning cheers, for the Christian, it's the family of God that comes and picks you up and runs with you and strengthens you by pointing you to Jesus, your great high priest, pointing you to their eternity that wakes, encouraging you by the word of God. See, brothers and sisters, the fact is we need each other and God has given us one another. So together, let us keep running with Jesus as our Lord. And together, let us strengthen one another so that not one of us will ever fall short of the grace of God. Amen.